We're continuing this morning in our summer sermon series through the lectionary, and I'll be reading this morning from the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 7, I'm actually going to begin with verse 7 through 17. So Amos chapter 7, verse 7 through 17. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Holy and gracious God, as the rains fall all around us, we pray that your Holy Spirit will fall upon us so that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Amos chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and prophecy there, but never again prophecy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophecy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from this land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you all have noticed, but I have a southern accent. I actually don't notice it very often anymore, maybe because I'm surrounded by so many other people who speak with a southern accent. In fact, most of the time I think I'm speaking with the king's English. But every now and then when I leave the south or when I go travel around the world, I can sort of hear my accent and certainly other people can as well. In fact, when I lived in Scotland many years ago, when I would be introduced to somebody new, almost every time I met someone new, the first thing they would say is, I notice your accent. You're not from around here, are you? I would usually take it as a compliment, because after all, I kind of like my southern accent. But then, after meeting several people in Scotland, they started to ask me to recite lines from the movie Forrest Gump. And I realized that maybe it was not the compliment that I thought it was. 
You might not know this, but we all have accents, and in fact, there are accents regionally all across the United States. And in fact, just this past year, an online organization called Preply, which is an online educational resource, language resource, they did a survey of all the accents in the United States to see which ones were the most trustworthy, the most attractive, the most annoying, and, and the most intelligent sounding accents. This was not a scientific uh, survey at all, but it was an interesting survey, at least I found. You might be happy to know that the most attractive accent, according to the survey of the United States, is the southern accent, as you might imagine. The most annoying accent in the United States is the Boston accent. I'm not going to try to do that for you. The most trustworthy accent in the United States is the Midwestern accent. And apparently, the most intelligent accent in the United States is the New York accent. As I said, this was not a scientific survey at all, at all. But in the midst of the survey, I think one of the helpful pieces of information that they discovered is that people liked the sound of their own accent. When they heard a sound that sounded similar to their accent, when they heard someone speaking in a similar way, using similar phrases to themselves, those were the words that they trusted. Those were the words that they found attractive. Those people who sound like we sound, those are the people that we trust. Well, if you have ever been ridiculed for your accent or ever been judged for your southern accent, I want you to know you are not alone because the prophet Amos was from the south. Not from the southern part of the United States, but from the southern kingdom of Judah. And God sent him to the northern kingdom to tell them to change their ways. Now, just a little bit of context. Uh, this is the prophet Amos is written during a time before the exile, when the kingdom of Israel was split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. This is after King David, after King Solomon, but before the exile, when both of the kingdoms were were wiped out, and all the kings of both the north and the south, with the exception of just a few, all of the kings were really considered wicked. There were just a few exceptions of that, including Jeroboam, who is now the king of Israel. He is a king who has abandoned the teachings of God. He has become so consumed with wealth and power, and in fact, he is teaching the people of Israel to do the same, to be consumed with their wealth, to be consumed with with how powerful they can be, and to ignore the needs of the people around them. And so God decides it's time to send a prophet to the people of Israel to remind them of how far they have strayed. But he does not pick someone from the north. He picks someone from the south, a shepherd, a herdsman named Amos, to go to the north, to go to the king and tell them they need to change their ways. It would be sort of like someone from the Panhandle or lower Alabama or south Georgia coming here to Tallahassee and telling us, you all are doing it wrong. You're not following the will of God. You need to change your ways. Well, the people in the northern kingdom did not like it at all, and it was not because of his accent. It was because of the fiery sermons that he was preaching and the condemnation he was offering to them. 
Barbara Brown Taylor says it like this. She says, why is Amos in such a bad mood? It's because the rich have used their riches to burden those who will never work their way out of debt. Because the clever have used their cleverness to trick those who cannot think as fast. Because making a profit has become more important than anything else in the land. More important than justice. More important than Sabbath. More important than God. Amos comes and tells them they need to change their ways. He speaks directly to Jeroboam the king. And so finally the high priest of Bethel intervenes, Amaziah. He's sort of like the senior pastor of Bethel. He comes in and says, Amos, you need to stay away. You are causing and disrupting the peace. And so Amos says to them, no, you all could be raising more money to help people in need. And and Amaziah says, no, 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 we we don't talk about money at our church or... He says, you're following a wicked king. You can't continue to follow this king. And Amaziah says, no, no, no. We don't talk about politics in our church here. He says, no, you are ignoring the needs of the people around you who are straining under the pain around you. And he says, well, we're sending our thoughts and our prayers. What more do you want us to do? And so finally, God has had enough. And he tells Amos to go and tell the people of Israel, I am going to show you just how far you have fallen. I'm going to send you a plumb line to show you just how crooked the walls of your kingdom have become. Now, uh, Vicky did a wonderful job of explaining to you what a plumb line is. The first time I think I've saw I've ever saw a plumb line in my life was a few years ago when we went to Guatemala. We just sent another group to Guatemala this past year. But uh, you, those of you who have gone, know that part of the work that we do is we build concrete block houses where row by row we cement these concrete blocks on top of each other, building the walls of the house. And a couple of years ago, I watched as the, the foreman of our work site, a man named Jorge, and, and one of his workers, his apprentices named Miguel, used a plumb line. Every time we would put a row of concrete blocks on a wall, he would raise and lower the plumb line to make sure that the wall was straight. If it bounced off the wall, that meant the wall was not completely plumb, completely vertical to the ground. And if the wall is just a little bit crooked one way or another the whole house will fall down. That's why it has to be plumb. And so you need sometimes a comparison to be able to see if it's straight up and down. Sometimes just from your naked eye, it's hard to see how straight the wall is. And so you use a plumb line to do that. And so God sends a plumb line to the people so that they can compare themselves to what it means to be faithful to God. Now, I consider myself a fairly competitive person, but often I don't like comparing myself to other people, especially if it shows me that I have some work to do. When I was growing up, I always hated being compared to my brother. He was a little bit older than me, so that meant he was always just a little bit taller than me. It always meant he was a little more athletic than me, a little stronger than me, always a little more popular than me. And the only time I really liked being compared to my brother was when I got the best of him, usually around report card time. Then I loved being compared to my brother. My grades were always just that little much better than his. But maybe we feel the same way about the work we do at our church. We're happy to be compared to other churches when we realize that we're doing well. But it's harder for us to be compared to churches when we know that we are lacking in some way. 
I call it, we get the, the, the case of uh, what I call coming down with the case of the at least. When we compare ourselves to others, we say, well, at least I'm not like them. We see another church out there and we say, well, at least we are having more people coming back to church now than they are. At least we're not struggling with money like they are. At least we don't have problems with our pastor like they are. We come down with a case of the at least. Comparing ourselves to other other people around us. At least we're doing better. At least we have more money. At least we have what we have and are not like them. We compare ourselves only to build ourselves up. But the plumb line is there to show us in ways that we can grow, ways that we need to change, ways that we can be better and closer to the will of God. And as Christians, you and I both know who that plumb line is for us. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is fully divine, yes, fully God, and of course none of us can be God, but Jesus Christ, who is also fully human, who proved to us, who showed to us what it meant to be perfectly faithful and perfectly human in the eyes of God. Jesus Christ, who was perfectly human, is our plumb line. Jesus Christ is the one that we should be comparing ourselves to to see if our walls of this kingdom that is being built around us are these walls straight up and down, or is this kingdom about to fall? And not just the the Jesus Christ that we have up in our head, but the Jesus Christ that we see in Scripture. So often we compare ourselves to the Jesus Christ that we have up in our head, this Jesus Christ who shines brightly, who wears a white nightie and floats two feet off of the ground, bestowing grace and kindness and love to everybody. No, we are supposed to compare ourselves to the plumb line we see in Scripture. Jesus Christ, the, the baby that was born in a manger, the Jewish carpenter who got his hands dirty, The man, the son of man who had no place to lay his head. There's a great little story, I've told you this before, that Will Willimon shares about a time when he was working at Duke Divinity School. He was the dean there, and he had a friend of his, another minister, who was coming to to visit the Divinity School. And so he wanted to show him the beauty and give him a tour of the campus. And if you've never been to Duke Divinity School, it is the chapel there is unbelievable. This beautiful Gothic structure, wonderful stained glass windows, it's unbelievable. And he wanted to time it just right so that when they came around the corner of the building, the, the, the the bells of the bill of the chapel would be ringing and it would be awe-inspiring. And sure enough, they walked around the corner and the bells were playing and they saw this beautiful Gothic chapel rise up out of the ground. And, and uh, Will Willimon looked at his friend and said, Ah, oh, isn't that inspiring? To which his friend replied, We have come a long way from a baby in a manger. Maybe we have come a long way from that Jesus Christ that we read about in Scripture. That Jesus Christ who got down and dirty with people, who sat down with people who were sinners and welcomed them to the table. That Jesus Christ who told the Jewish people, quit being so prejudiced against the Samaritans and against the Gentiles, but welcomed them into the life of God. That Jesus Christ who taught us to forgive people who were unforgivable. That Jesus Christ who was willing to sacrifice himself for the people around him. And for you and me, 
That's the plumb line that we're called to measure ourselves to. Not this Jesus Christ who floats up in heaven, but this Jesus Christ who got down and dirty right here in the muck of this world with you and me. Some of you know just uh, this past year, my wife Julianne just finished her master's degree. I'm very proud of her for doing that. When she finished her degree, her professor gave her a little gift that sits on our uh, desk at home. In fact, gave it to all of the people in uh, the program. It's a little jar of dirt. Kind of a peculiar gift to get from your professor, this little jar of dirt. But on the outside of the jar, it says these words, words of an ancient Jewish Mishnah that says, May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Literally what that means is that as a disciple, as a student of a rabbi, you follow around behind your rabbi so closely that as they walk around and kick up the dust, the dust gets all over you. You follow in their footsteps so closely that as they walk around, as they get dirty, you get dirty too. The dust that comes up from their feet gets all over you. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. When I first saw that jar and I thought, that's peculiar, but you know what I thought of? For some reason, I thought back to Jorge and Miguel sitting there on the side of a mountain in Guatemala. This foreman and this apprentice who were working together and they were completely covered in dirt, cement, working so hard, getting themselves dirty to care and build a house for someone else. Come to think of it, all the members of our team who went to Guatemala were covered in dirt too. They were covered in dirt because they were trying to get down and dirty and follow in the path of their rabbi. To follow in the path of Jesus Christ who tells us not to avoid the pain and the suffering of the world but to get right there in it and care for those people in need. If Jesus Christ is truly our plumb line, if Jesus Christ is truly our standard and our way and our truth and our life, then hopefully... We are being covered in the dust of Christ every single day, following in his footsteps step by step. My prayer for you and my prayer for me this day is that you and I will both be covered in the dust of Christ, that we will leave here every day caring and following just as Jesus taught us to care. And in doing so, Maybe we'll get a little dust on other people too. A good little dusting of the grace of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.